This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to Line Dance Podcast with Megan Barcelia and Christopher Gonzalez. You can tune in to us every week offline if you download the episodes or just casually streaming onlinedancepodcast.com and if you happen to be tuned into Line Dancer Radio when our shows are aired you can check us out there we are very happy to be part of the linedancer-radio.com team of DJs plug 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 today we will be continuing our list of 350 good questions to ask. I think I may have just choked Megan with her water. Protein drink. Protein drink, but yes. Uh, today, we are starting with question 171. What's the dumbest thing someone has argued with you about? And if this is line dance themed, I don't know if we've ever argued with anyone about this, but um, I guess the idea that some dances are dances choreographer unknown longtime listeners will know this soapbox well <laughs> and uh, for those who are new to it sometimes a dance is choreographed by specific choreographers with a specific name and a, and a song that they paired the dance with or with which they paired the dance and then over time somebody kind of half remembers it and then they teach their friends they have no idea who the choreographer is it travels around the world travels across the country where it's found and when somebody asks them, hey, what is this dance? They often will just say, oh, well, I mean, we do it to this song, so I guess we'll just call it this song. Or they'll call it something completely unrelated to the song or the dance, but sounds kind of hot, caliente, if you will. And these things, you know, they they allow, I guess, the dance to have a life of its own. Uh, independent of the choreographer and the choreographer's intentions. So even though I don't think we've ever gotten into an argument about that with anyone in particular, I know that I have argued um, with the void about it and just kind of ranted at length, as I have today. What's yours? That's a tough one. I almost had something, and then I was really paying attention to what you were saying, and uh, I kind of lost it. Um, other than what you've mentioned, and again, like arguing isn't really something that I've had experience with when it comes to line dancing per se. Um, I guess more of, I think some of the silly things that we've discussed with people has to do with like regional variations or something along the lines of well why don't you dance this dance in your area like I, I don't know how to answer that so I don't say it's the dumbest thing but it's just kind of like I don't know how to answer that because it doesn't fit in our area because we don't dance it in our area or because we have a different song to it already I don't I don't know um, I generally don't come across too many people who say like like they you know they question when I have knowledge about like a choreographer be or a, a dance being done by a, a specific choreographer um, I am also one of the first people to admit when I don't know who the choreographer is generally I ask you at that point <laughs> um, other than that I mean I guess one of the things I have to remind my students every once in a while and once in a blue moon myself when I go to a completely new venue is that things will be done differently in different places um, not everybody has the same exposure to knowledge and not everybody knows what to call everything and not everybody knows how to break things down or they have different ways of doing it. So I have to kind of remind myself as well as other students of mine that, you know, to look for the good in the differences and what they can learn from that. 
Um, so again, it, it wouldn't be the dumbest thing that I've ever argued about, but it's definitely one of those things that I have to remind myself not to go into a negative and find the positive in it. So I don't know. I, I guess that's, I'm drawing at straws at this point. So I'm just going to hand the mic back to you so you can get on to the next question. I like the next question. If money and practicality weren't a problem, what would be the most interesting way to get around town? And my first thought was wizard steps, but I was wrong <laughs> because I think the answer is actually Roger Rabbits. <laughs> you don't want to do the running man? <laughs> I feel like the Roger Rabbits would give me more street cred. <laughs> Um, oh, so I don't know how to answer that question. The most interesting way to get around town. Yeah, I guess Roger Rabbits would probably be pretty interesting. Um, maybe a moonwalk or um, mashed potatoes. And very dangerous mashed potatoing backwards um, if you're trying to you know, get around town because you generally want to see where you're going, not <laughs> where you've been. <laughs> um, I like the idea of wizard steps, so that sounds like kind of fun. I can also picture Rachel in like a Pope mobile with the bubble, the bulletproof bubble, <laughs> so that she can wave. And then when I think waving, I think like Joe on a float. But they're so personable, they'd want to be down with the people. They wouldn't want to be up there on a pedestal riding or above everyone. Bubble. Or in a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Number 173, what's the longest rabbit hole you've been down? Recently, I would say, well, semi-recently, two, oh boy, there are two. One of them was when I somehow managed to catch up on pretty much all of Game of Thrones through YouTube clips after having not been interested in it for several years. And the other would be when I binge-watched pitch meetings on Screen Rant hosted by Ryan George, where for six minutes he gives a pitch meeting for some movie or TV show to himself uh, on a green screen as two different characters. Uh, for that, I credit Elliot Marr. I think he is the first person to show me that series of videos. Uh, but, I mean, for longest, it would probably have to be Game of Thrones just because there were so many seasons and such short clips. So I was really at that for a while. What's yours? Well, if you include like binge watching, it's definitely been uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as of recently. I think I started it mm, three or four days ago and I'm already in like the seventh season. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's one of those that I can just turn on and listen to and like I know exactly what's going on because I've seen it so many times. So it's kind of like more background noise than anything else. Um, so that would probably be that because I was even I was watching it while I was waiting for you to get here too like it's pretty bad um but I have one of for dance. I was gonna say other than that um it would definitely be workout videos recently I've kind of been obsessed with looking for different fun and unique workouts for the whole body and of course, one video leads into the next, which leads into the next, which leads into the next, and so on and so forth. Um, as for dance-related, for whatever reason, I have gotten on this kick of looking at old Guyton dances. And I've discovered some really random ones that I never knew existed. So that was fun. I have some new ones that I'm going to be uh, learning just for the challenge of it. Uh, some other ones that I'm going to be learning because we play the song every week and I can't stand the dance anymore. I will be open about that. And so since he has a dance to it, I figured, hey, look, new challenge. Um, so yeah, I think that would be one of the things I... I I want to say it actually started with uh, binge watching Joe videos. And then, of course, there's the couple videos where they like have a competition, so to say, using air quotes with each other about like classic versus new line dance. And I've watched a couple of those a hundred times over. And then it swung into Guyton stuff. So I think that would be the dance related one. 
The one I was thinking of for you with dance was when you went digging for improver videos oh. before Stagecoach last year yeah. and pulled out ones by people that you know or that looked especially country for Stagecoach. And when you said Joe, it reminded me of when I had gone digging through pages and pages of Copperknob to see which dances she had no videos for. Yeah. And we printed out a bunch of those and actually taught one at, at uh, Wine Country Line Dance called Snapjack. And that one was tricky to find an appropriate song for as far as tempo and style. And I thought we did all right with with the teach and dancing of it, but I don't think that video has been posted, so it kind of, I wouldn't say defeated the purpose, but like really needed that video to like f- complete the, 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 the cycle, the journey of uh, how that dance was intended to go. But... Oh, well, maybe we can do one at some point in the future. Yeah. I can't think of any other, like, rabbit holes dance-wise. Oh, there was a time when I was looking for every video I could of The Beast. And that was, like, pretty early on when I had seen the the video from the Crystal Boot Awards that went viral. And then after that saw the one with the young people in the Scandin- at the Scandinavian event with Roy and Fiona and Raymond and Jonas and others. After that, I started looking for every video I could specifically of the Beast. And since then, we've done that with other videos that catch our eye, like the few videos that exist of Fuego um, or Cadillac Ride. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking for like misspellings of the dance name or the choreographer. Like there are some dances you will find that just say like Rachel McEnany with no E before the Y yeah. and they won't say like a dance name or a song name, It'll but it'll have her misspelled name and you know, things like that can, can give you uh, results that you otherwise might never have found. Yeah. So you got to get creative with that whole digging. Number one, seven, four, I have like a mental list that I'm composing. So I'll pass it to you. If you have something at the top of your mind, um, uh, I have at least like four. Uh, what's the saddest scene in a movie or TV series? Oh, there's so many, so many, so many, so many, so many. But it's funny that this is a question that is brought up tonight, considering not even like two hours ago, I was realizing how I have seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer so many times. Like, I mean, I, I started when the f- show first aired and I think I was in junior high at the time. And so like I've watched this show for years upon years upon years. I never missed an episode and it's amazing to me how the episode titled the body still just excruciating to my heart and it's just so emotional that I was even crying today over it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is so like, oh my gosh, how is it? I've seen this for over 15 years and this episode still just like takes all of the wind out of my sails. It's definitely an emotional one for me. Um, another one, going back way old school is Homeward Bound with Shadow. And I'm such a sap when it comes to animals and when he gets stuck in in the, the mud pit hole and, and then he, like, you know, they're calling their dog and cat's names and he's waiting for Shadow to come over that hill and he just starts saying, like, oh, he was just too old. He was just too old. He was so old. It was so long of a journey. And then he comes over the hill and, oh, my gosh, yes. So... Yeah, that's definitely an emotional one for me as well. Those are the two that just like scream and pop out in, out for me. Uh, what about you? Okay. Besides yeah, the two I mentioned. I've got obviously. a few. When you said Buffy, I thought you were going with the one that uh, that I thought of, which, uh, which was intense for me. Because I, I had stopped watching regularly before The Body, but I found out about that episode later. Um, the one that got me was when uh, Kendra died. 
Yes. When Drusilla slashed her uh, at the end of that episode, and you see Buffy running in slow motion away from the diversionary fight that Angel tricked her into, and he's saying like, "This was never about me uh, or you or whatever." Like she, she's just too late to stop it. And I liked Kendra. Like she seemed so tough and and angry and serious. And then you know she has a name for her stake, and it's Mister Pointy. And it's just so cute. And you finally warm up to her, and now she's gone. That was so sad for me at that age. And on that theme of WB shows, uh, when Dawson's dad died um, in Dawson's Creek during that same era of television. Um, Also on television, I would say at the very end of the Wonder Years, when he says he looks back with wonder. And then his his kid, the, the narrator's kid, uh, is you know calling for him. He says, "I'll be right there, son," or something like that. And and you just see how how that entire era that he's been talking about for the last several years of the show is over. And fortunately, it's like safe. It's safe in the past, but like you can never go back to that. Um, also, in Boy Meets World, at the end, when oh, Mister Feeney. Mr. Feeney says, uh, I love you all, class dismissed. Oh, I didn't, oh. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to bring that one up. Boy Meets World, that one. I was trying to avoid that one because that one, oh my gosh, that one, that killed me. Uh, two from Doctor Who are when Ten regenerates and at the last minute he says, I don't want to go. And then he becomes Eleven. And then at the end when Eleven is like hallucinating and he sees Amelia Pond and he, first he sees her as the little girl he knew when he had just become uh, the 12th Doctor or uh, the 11th Doctor. And then he sees her as the grown-up that, uh, that we knew in the, the first season. And she says, uh, raggedy man, good night. And then very shortly after that, he regenerates. Also, of course, I have to say this. I'm sure many people uh, would agree with me on this one. When Mufasa dies. Yeah, I was just going to say that. And... <laughs> Simba, I mean, it's sad enough that he's like down there motionless, but when he's asking for dad, yeah. that hurts my heart. Something yeah. just awful. Um, <sighs> yeah, I was definitely, I was just thinking about Mufasa because I was also thinking about Land Before Time when Littlefoot's mom. Yes. And that one just, just hurts because he like curls up on her and like, yeah. So yes, emotional, very emotional. Stupid kids cartoons. Why do they do that to us? <laughs> um, another one, which I, I still to this day, still to this day, vow that no adult should walk out of a movie theater crying from a kids cartoon. Thank you, Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one that I'd almost forgotten about, which was kind of like, I don't know, noble and stoic, but also really sad if you like the character. And it was when Dinobot died in Beast Wars and he's, you know, and you see him fading and they're, they're again, you know, they're just barely, the Maximals are just too late to save him. And he only has enough energy to just give his last words. And he's saying like, tell my tale to those who ask, tell it truly the ill deeds along with the good, uh, the rest is silence. And then, and then he just passes. Um, as far as line dance, the saddest line dance scene that I've seen, I mean, I'm trying to think like what we've actually been there for. Um, there's been Guyton retiring, but I mean, it's always such a party that like you don't think about it being sad. And I don't think he'd want people to be sad. Um, I'm trying to think if there was like ever a last time for something that we've done. Like uh, the Fresno event that you will may or may or may not be attending this year, like that'll be its last year. So I could see if there's some ritual that they have and you see it for the last time that that would be um, a sad moment. But since it hasn't happened yet, I can't think of anything that we will have experienced for the last time. I mean, there's Mavericks closing, but they had like their biggest numbers ever on the last two nights. So it didn't feel like... It was petering out or anything. Do you have any any additional thoughts on saddest scenes before I go on to the next question? I was, I was thinking of one, and I just I can't pull it out of my brain right now, but I'm sure randomly it'll come back to me. Um, I'm definitely, unfortunately, when it comes to characters, typically speaking, 
I am the type of person that attaches themselves to a character, whether it be in a book, a movie, or a TV show, and they either die or turn evil. So I have a lot of very emotional deaths. Um, I think another one would have been Sirius Black from Harry Potter. That one was out of nowhere kind of thing. And then at the very, very end, I was not okay with how many people died in the last battle. And I was very not okay that literally my favorite character through the whole series didn't make it. So, yeah, other than that, I think we're ready for the next episode or next question. Okay, dokie. Number 175, what's the most frustrating product you own? I actually had to replace the, the most frustrating product that I owned because it was my blender bottle and it kept making the sound when I would walk because the, the one that I was using was a Contigo and it had this dense ball, not not the whisk like blender bottles have, but this ball of plastic that's supposed to blend your powder and whatnot. And when I would walk, I would hear it rattling around. And now that I have a blender bottle, an official blender bottle with the, the wire whisk, I have not walked around enough with it to hear whether it makes a noisier noise but so far i have not had a problem so let's hope that this holds up that sound though and not being able to safely rotate it in any orientation that would stop the sound from happening that was that was probably the most frustrating oh and uh, also the laptop that i'm currently using because the corner uh one of the corners near the hinge uh, has broken because there was a screw that is not um, in it. <laughs> I don't know if it just rattled out or what, but uh, because of that, I have to be very careful with how I use the hinge on my laptop or the whole thing will fall flat. And then maybe the other side will break. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, that's less frustrating now that I know how to manage it. The The blender bottle one was just like the little pebble in your shoe. My car. Um, the good news is I actually enjoy working on cars the bad news is my car gives me plenty of opportunities to work on it (laughs) so yeah I'm just gonna settle it with my car yeah that seems fair (laughs) it would have been my Buick before I ended up with this lovely Honda Civic uh Let's see. What is the next one? One, seven, six. What inconsequential superpower would you like to have? Ooh, maybe. Now, this is one of those underrated powers that a guy from the Marvel Universe named Taskmaster has. And he has the ability to copy any movement perfectly. So if he sees a video of Captain America throwing a shield, he can then throw a shield like Captain America. Now, he still has to do push-ups and whatever to, like, be strong, but as far as just moving in a way that other people move, he can mimic anyone perfectly. And that seems small, so I'm going to say that that counts as inconsequential. It's not like teleportation or flight or something. Yeah, because the idea is, like, a superpower that would have a consequence to it, which my superpower would be teleportation, but... If you're going based off the X-Men teleportation, you have to have seen where you're going. And that's a consequence, essentially. Otherwise, you could end up in the middle of a wall or something random like that. Um, I wouldn't know. Other than what you said, like, that sounds pretty, pretty good. I wouldn't know what would be inconsequential I was thinking if you wanted to go like super minor it'd be like to always have a parking space at the front of the store like you always show up right when someone's leaving so no one else can zip in there or you always show up with all your groceries when somebody's line just opens up so you're able to walk right up and buy your stuff that's pretty minor but it's still you know nice to have a superpower I don't know that doesn't sound as fun to me like, I mean, it's convenient, yeah, sure, but I don't know. Well, okay, dance superpower. What inconsequential dance superpower would you like to have? Is it to, like, always have sure footing no matter what floor you're on, whether it's, like, usually for someone else too slippery or too sticky? For you, it's the perfect texture always. I don't know. What what, what would you want um, in the dance world that would be a superpower but doesn't automatically make you you know, the the biggest or best or brightest or strongest or whatever. 
That's kind of where I was going with the muscle mimicry as well, is that I would always yeah. be able to have technique based on who I would want to emulate. Yeah. That would be kind of where it would be, is I would I would just want technique. Like, just be, always have technique, um, which is something I'm actually just working on myself. But as a superpower, just to have it would be cool and access it whenever you wanted to, because that would be something that could help you but also isn't necessarily what's going to like skyrocket you to being a headliner kind of situation. Next up, 177. What qualities do all your friends have in common? I'm going to say that most of them are dancers, honestly. Uh, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, trying to think if you go other than dancers because... Uh, this one might apply to both of us. We all have uh, a large number of – we both have a large number of friends who are geeks in some fashion. Because I was thinking about you, like that must be challenging with like Celine or people who – Stephanie who um, aren't as active in dance but still have like their thing, whether it's dragons or books or nature or something. Like every, everyone has like their geeky thing and like in um, – in line dance, we have Brooke with Civil War and you know history reenactments, which she doesn't really share with anybody else in our dance community, but that's her specific thing that she is very much into. And um, I don't know if you... I mean, it's, it's, Disney's so popular, you can't really call it like a geeky thing at this point, so mainstream. But uh, Steph with her... The other Steph, um, Steph, Stephanie Miller, with her Minnie and Mickey ears that she customizes for different things. I was thinking her and tie-dye. I was thinking her and tie-dye. Yeah. I mean, it's like a style thing. Um, the, it seems like we have a lot of people who don't take themselves too seriously. They have really good senses of humor, and they're not afraid to let their uh, geek flag fly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okie doke. Next we have... Whoop. As the screen goes black, uh, the following question is number one, seven, eight. What odd smell do you really enjoy? Okay. I have a few, but I'm going to pass it to you. Okay. So I have this theory about smells or odors or aromas or stuff like that. And I have never met someone who enjoys both the smell of gasoline and bleach. They, I, they either like they can tolerate one, but they like the smell of the other, um, or they just don't like either of them. But I've never met someone who likes both of them, so that that's definitely an interesting thing. Um, I am a bleach and chlorine fanatic. I love the smell of that. I think for me, it associates some type of cleanliness or even. Um, when it comes to like chlorine, I think of pools. And so like, there's just a lot of good things there. Um, so I don't know if it's an odd smell, but it's definitely not necessarily a normal smell. Yeah. My easy smells are things like lavender and jasmine and honeysuckle and all those things, roses, things a lot of people like, um, I really enjoy the smell of a Home Depot. I don't know how many people do, but for me, it's like that lumber, getting things done, vinyl paint smell, like new house smell. Like when you go to the model home in a new development and they just painted the walls and it still smells like the paint um, that they applied, that is one of my favorite smells. I like the smell of fresh newsprint and new comic book also sometimes new paperback book yeah. uh, but I, I'm less exposed to that mostly if I'm flipping through paperbacks it's because I'm at like an airport or something but I do like that smell as well there's something about that um, that paper smell and specifically with comic books there's like an like an inky chemical smell that's more than just the paper and it, I think it, it must like take me back to when I would read more comic books when I was, you know, I guess it would have been around 2008 and I, I was reading lots of things avidly uh, and had subscriptions to different, different, um, lines of, of comic. And now, you know, I don't. And because it kind of lives in that era of my memory, um, I guess it's sort of protected. So 
in addition to just the nature of the smell itself, it probably has some memory associations with it. Other than that, odd smells. Eh, I like the mall, but I mean, they design it that way, so uh, that that's not really something that would surprise anyone. Uh, like kettle corn like, smell, but that's also supposed to be that way. Yeah, it's. I'm trying to think of things that like. I mean, like you can say like the smell of fresh baked cookies, and but that's not an odd smell. And to be super cliche, like uh, petrichor, the smell of rain on a parking lot, or you know, a, a normally dry surface, like the first rain smell. But that one that's gone gotten all over Instagram and, and Pinterest and now we're all aware that we all like that smell, but before we all probably thought we were the only ones. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of like the first uh clean rain smell in Arizona. There's something about the desert right after it rains that there's just that ha oh, intoxicating. Um but again that's not really an odd smell, it's just nature essentially. Um, I'm trying to think of like what else. Oh, there's a cleaning product that a lot of uh, vet techs might be familiar. It's called Kinesol. It's got almost like a minty, minty smell, but it's not mint. It's it's very interesting. Hmm. You know, that reminds me. In first grade, a friend of mine had this white tape that, for some reason, smelled minty, and I didn't know why. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it was like something that. I don't recall her ever having like a broken wrist or anything, but it would have made sense if it were like a medical tape that wrapped her cast. But I remember really liking that minty tape smell. Um, and also when you said nature, I remembered uh, the smell in fall of dry, dead grass uh, when it's wafting like on a, on a warm night and, and the smell lifts above the field and like spreads out to the surrounding area. Uh, there's a field like that across from formerly known as Brookdale Senior Living, and after my gigs, you know, uh, my my Monday morning, my Monday evening six to seven line dance class, I would go out, and that smell, uh, I think, had been rising during the the warm part of the day, and at that time is now like starting to settle and spread, and that's when it would hit me, and I would take too long to get home because I just want to stay there and smell it. So there's a medicine, I'm going to use that term loosely, that I am addicted to the smell of. I just love it so much. And a few people who know it um, actually had a conversation with Darren Bailey about it. It's called Tiger Bomb. Mm. I love the smell of Tiger Bomb. It can, it's an ointment, um, typically, that you can rub on sore muscles or joints, and it's essentially like a icy hot or a Bengay or something to that. Um, but it's called Tiger Bomb. I swear by the product. I use it all the time. Any kind of sore muscle or anything like that, any kind of migraines, I swear, 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 swear by it. But I love the smell of it. I'm glad you mentioned that too because we we drifted pretty far from dance and dance-related smells. Maybe like the smell of a, a, a newish floor. I think new floors in uh, in a ballroom after they've been laid down still smell kind of woody, whereas older floors in like a beginner room don't really smell like anything. They just kind of smell neutral. So yeah, maybe the wood dust from a new floor would be one of my dance smells that I like. Oh, oh. It's a distinct smell from like every other event, but the Vegas dance explosion smell. And it's kind of like a variety of smells because part of it is walking across in the casino area and you're getting kind of a little bit of smokiness, kind of a air freshenerness. And if you keep going down the hall, you get like the bath bomb aisle. And if you keep going down, then there's like food down at the end. And... All of these things make you remember that there was a smell at this event, and it was probably a good smell wherever it was along this path. Other events just kind of smell neutral. They're just hotel. But uh, Vegas always has a smell, and uh, it's a smell that I enjoy. Ready for 179? I am. What's the coolest animal you've seen in the wild? And I'm just going to jump in right now and say that... um, Humans don't count because our our list would be huge. I was thinking Rachel, and then I was thinking Roy, and I'm like, ah, oh, we can't do that. That's cheating. But uh, somehow relating this to dance and still being an animal, I don't know. 
Go for I, it. I was definitely going to say Roy <laughs> and Rachel, and yes. Um, oh, wasn't Jill a bullfrog on a log at Detroit Motor City Dance Classic? Yeah, something like that. Um, I'm trying to think of coolest animal I've actually ever seen in the wild. Hmm. Oh. I would have to go with any of the flocking birds that I see when they do their swarms. Uh, like for uh, swallows, I believe it's called a murmur, a murmur of swallows. And you'll see this at around roosting time. Birds will look for a place to land and they'll all start moving as like one big unit. And as much as I enjoy bees for like the concept that they live in hives and are social animals together. I don't see them move as one body because I don't typically see them as they're uh, migrating from one spot to the next. So they don't all go at the same time. They're all kind of moving individually. But with birds, I do have opportunities to see that. And I'm not underwater enough to see schools of fish. So if it weren't something on like a video like an octopus changing its colors and camouflaging with different textures of its skin and something I've actually seen in in person it would be the movement of birds whether um, there was that one day when we saw the migration of like a ton of geese or something that was insane yeah there were just so many of them they all had the bright idea to like migrate at once so we got to see it for a very long stretch of road um, and yep, uh, I think swallows would be the ones that I would point to as the ones I've seen most often moving in that murmur formation where it seems like the wind is carrying them all as a giant multi-part kite. Yeah, I definitely think that that is, is one of the cooler things I've seen in the wild. Cause that, that's the tricky part is the wild. Like where, where do you draw the line on wild? Because like I definitely, obviously, no, they're not referring to like the zoo, but I've seen, you know, like quote unquote wild mustangs running, like, and that's a really cool thing to see. I was blown away. I mean, I was miles and miles and miles away from them, so I they look like little specks, but it was really cool just to see them, you know, running around. Um, but I don't know if that was technically the wild or if it was just like acres and acres and acres and acres of property that someone owned. So like, because I don't know. Um, as for like other things, I mean, I've been scuba diving. I've been snorkeling and like fishies are cool. I love watching them swim. And I mean... Yeah, it's a, that's a little bit of a tough one. Maybe we should get out more. <laughs> Number 180. What's the best lesson you've learned from a work of fiction? Ooh. I'm trying to think of fiction. I, I, I typically stay away. Aha! But they said work of fiction, so it doesn't have to be like a book. I don't, I don't typically read fiction books. I like nonfiction that tells a good story about things that really happened. But as skillful as fiction writers can be, sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my time by reading about something that didn't happen. It would be like if I tried to write a page of fiction on the back of an envelope and just say, John was angry. John fought his enemy, Dave. John and Dave had a great battle that raged for many days, and John won, and the kingdom was happy. Like, that never happened. I just wasted your time. So... Unless there's something that can only be communicated through a hypothetical scenario like fiction, I don't know why I couldn't just read a paragraph summarizing what they wanted me to get out of it. If they're really good at describing things, that's cool because sometimes people are creative in the way they describe things. But also, I don't mind just looking at a picture and uh, you know, if, if we're getting real fancy, watching a video. Uh, But since they're saying work of fiction, I would say, I mean, the one that maybe just because it was recent uh, on my mind, don't be afraid to change uh, because sometimes it can be for the better. Uh, Like when the doctor regenerates, it's scary and it feels like death and you're, you're having to become this whole new person compared to the way you were used to being before. But 
you don't lose all your memories and you may be able to tackle problems differently than you would have with your old mindset and your old skill set. It can be unpredictable, but sometimes um, that little shakeup will help you value what you do have and what you do want to keep and propel you into new scenarios that keep life interesting for you. That's the first one that I came came away with. Yours? That's so tough. That's such a tough, 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 tough question to answer because there's so many things that I value that I've learned through quote unquote fiction. Um, for instance, like just loyalty and compassion um, and how just accepting others regardless of like where they might come from. I mean, that was huge in Boy Meets World. And I mean, the more I think about it, the more I realize like how much I was shaped by watching shows like that. Um, I was thinking about how like how much, you know, hope and love and honesty and hard work and just compassion was wrapped up in that show alone. And then I think about like some of the books I've read, which have to do with like overcoming obstacles and being true to yourself and discovering who you are for you and not, you know, like conforming to what everybody else thinks you should be and, you know, stuff like that. I've also, I mean, if you look at, for instance, even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, although it has to do with like, you know, the supernatural, it also focuses on a core group of friends that go through life's challenges together and they have to figure out how to deal with love and loss and internal battles as well as external battles and overcoming, you know, obstacles and keep pushing forward and, you know, reach out to those around you and pay attention and that kind of stuff. And there's just so much out there that you can really gain when you think about it. Um, Ultimately, I think the most important lesson I've gotten out of any one thing or any multiples of things is just being honest with yourself. If you're honest with yourself and your reasons for doing things or acting the way you are or thinking things, you can change from there. Um, you can continue to go from there. You can continue to push forward from there because there's going to be tons of people that don't understand why you do what you do and think that you should be doing something else or do it differently. And if you're honest with your reasonings, that gives you the necessary fuel to keep moving forward. That reminded me of um, something from a Goofy movie because I was sitting here thinking like there's got to be something from a Goofy movie. Like she's got to say something from Goofy movie or I am like one of us is going to say something. But I'm like, well, what is it that I would pull from that? And as my female deprived adolescent self, I guess, uh, if you want to put it that way, um, one of the things that I would have learned at that age when I watched it um, was this idea that you can be yourself and maybe she actually likes you for that. And you don't have to do all these crazy outlandish stunty things that potentially would harm yourself or those around you because you think that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like you think that you have to be this other person because of what you're assuming about your, you know, target person, crush, whatever you want to call them. Um, but if you just actually listen to them and like really evaluate the situation overall from a third party perspective or something, you might see that you're actually fine the way that you are and you don't have to keep trying or be some other person. That person likes you already. Like you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be getting any minor time of day with that person to begin with if they didn't already like you. And then if you did try to become this other person, maybe they wouldn't like that person. Maybe you should have stayed the way that you were instead of altering yourself beyond recognition. So that would be one of those that I probably saw over and over uh, in different forms of television and movies while I was that age. 
um, and just railed at every single time because they just the guy just seems so oblivious every time he thinks he needs to be this other thing, and then you know the the person says, "I liked you f- from from the first day," and like, oh well, okay, I guess this last two hours of movie was a waste of time then, <laughs> but at least we made some money. <laughs> uh, oh. oh, biggest lesson: dinosaurs will eat you. Oh yes. <laughs> Especially if you're a lawyer. <laughs> uh, Dance-wise, I mean, if you want to call it creative works of, of line dance fiction, then I would say don't be afraid to get weird with it. Because Roy, Fiona, Guyton, sometimes Rachel, maybe Rachel's a different lesson. She's like, get weird with it, but also remember to take breaks. Like how Joe, we, we've mentioned in a previous episode, how... Um, Joe likes to do a difficult thing and then an easier thing to give you time to breathe and then a difficult thing to push you and then time to breathe. Rachel kind of does that as well, where she'll give you a new pattern you've never done before, like the kick, kick part in let it out. And that's daunting at first, but she also has things like cross side behind and heel, like common patterns like that touch forward, touch side sailor. And, by giving you those little breaks, you can feel confident in what you know and still be scared about the things that you don't know yet, but are more comfortable doing that uh, when you can, eight counts later, fall back on something that, again, you know. Um, you're still dancing the dance with everyone else. You're just kind of faking the parts you don't know as well. And then eventually you're not faking it anymore because you do know all the parts. With dances that are too hard all the way through, everything's new, there's nowhere to hide. You're going to be faking the entire dance if you are brave enough to do that much. So definitely push people. I think um, if, if you're comfortable with some people really not liking your dance, um, and also make it fun. You know what? Maybe that's the Roy and Fiona lesson is that it's okay to to make the entire dance weird, like say Dem de Go, um, except for like the you know the nightclub bridge is pretty you know normal, uh, but so much of that dance is fun. Like you're doing hula hands, you're doing the hands up down, uh, you're doing body rolls, you're doing shampoo bottles. There's a lot of a lot of weird stuff in there. A lover's track, you get to do the um, the cabbage patch and the hammer hands. Uh, what's the other one? Make you a move, you get to floss. So it's okay to make people do real weird stuff as long as it's fun weird stuff or satisfying, like in Fragile by Fred Guyton and J.P. Madge. Like there's some unusual movement in that, but I still can't let that dance go. I, I feel like it taps into something that can best be expressed by doing that dance. And it's satisfying enough for me to just push through the hard, weird parts. So yeah, get weird with it. Maybe give people a breather. Keep it fun. Or otherwise make it worthwhile. Dance thoughts that you've learned from people's works of quote-unquote fiction? Take risks. Push yourself. It's okay. Um, not everybody's going to like everything, but that's okay. I mean, that's kind of the general overall thing I've learned through dance and through movement that take the risk and have fun with it. And, you know, it's okay if someone doesn't agree with your choice. Mm-hmm. Number 181, what food do you crave most often? It changes, especially from season to season. So I'll have to give that some thought. What food do you crave most often? Salty food? I don't know. Um, what food do I crave most often? Do you like mac and cheese? Anyway? I do like mac and cheese. I generally don't crave mac and cheese, though. I don't... I don't know. It. I am... I'm a tricky fish because I my diet consists of whatever I'm craving. So it's literally, if I am hungry for mac and cheese, I will go and get mac and cheese. If I am hungry for chicken, I will have chicken. If I am hungry for a salad, I will have a salad. Like, 
I really, I don't deprive myself of whatever my body's telling me I want when it comes to craving certain foods. I'm generally pretty aware of like when I'm craving sweet, I don't jump to candy. I jump to say like fruits, you know, like that's where like it changes in the diet a little bit. But as for craving stuff, I don't know. I don't... I don't know if I have like a general overall craving. Like every once in a while I'll crave sushi. So I'll go get sushi. Um, I'm trying to think of like what my last craving was. I can't even think like. I think. Maybe based on like energy level um, and and sweets, you know, uh, I'll find that. Uh, like, because normally my go-to, I would just say as well, you know, any kind of fruit juice, like hummingbird diet, just drink all the different kind of drinks that I've never had before that are like a blend of different fruit juices, fruit smoothies. And when I think about it, that tends to be more correlated with how much sleep I've gotten and how rested I feel. I'll want more sweets when I did not get a full eight hours and it's getting toward like the end of the day, you know, somehow your body recognizes, hmm, sugars will fix this right up. And you go out looking for juice. Um, in the last few days, I have been packing myself so full of food. Um, I did a very, very expensive trip to Costco a couple days ago and just bought so much protein, <laughs> like all these different kind of protein powders and like six different kinds of trail mix and granola. And I have been full like nonstop since then, just because I keep reminding myself, oh, got a little room in there, time to eat. And it's all part of this whole fitness lifty thing. But um, I have not craved anything like syrupy sweet, like, you know, an Odwalla smoothie or even like what I usually would get is like a fresh squeezed orange juice from Trader Joe's. But I haven't even wanted one of those lately. And I think it's just because I'm so full of calories. Like my body's like, no, no, we're good. You leave me alone. <laughs> All right, I'll have water. Um, who's to say, you know, what, what will be the case in a few days? Um, and especially after stagecoach, I don't even know what that's going to do to us. But right. I'm um, not looking forward to I'm going to have to buy a bunch of little of those powder packets, meal replacement things. And probably do that because I don't think I'm going to get enough food otherwise. Yeah. And if, if we were to eat the amount that, you know, we probably are supposed to be and we're doing it at whatever booth happens to be around, it's going to cost like 60 bucks a day. That's just not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, we'll need a solution for that. Um, I think when I'm at dance events, I typically, if it's available and it's not too expensive, I like to go for uh, cups of fruit, like mixed fruit mm -hmm. with like grapes and melon slices and things like that. Again, sugar for your, it's sugar for the energy. Exactly. And also uh, yogurt cups, especially if they include a little thing of granola at the top, which is also probably a little bit the sugar and a little bit my body needs protein because it's been breaking down my muscles so that I can dance more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess one of the things I was thinking about... Um, it wasn't really a craving per se, but it was when we were walking on campus the other night and we smelled like a barbecue-ish smell and we started to, like talking about like what sounded good and you had mentioned like barbecued corn and I had mentioned barbecued like uh, zucchini and like asparagus and that kind of stuff. Like that's what sounded good to us. Funny how neither one of us mentioned meat, <laughs> but... Um, other than that, like I was trying to think about it and generally speaking, I have oatmeal in the morning with freeze dried strawberries. So I get like kind of that Swedish from the strawberry and then I have peanut butter, rice cakes, banana and honey for lunch. And then I typically have some type of like vegetable for dinner. So, like, I generally have the majority of, like, the foods I would crave throughout the day. Um, but the one thing I do know, there is one food that I crave, and it's a specific time that I crave it. Right after I've been sick and I start feeling better, 
I know that I'm better when I start craving like spaghetti or pastas, like for whatever reason, like that's my like, you are no longer sick. Granted, I haven't been sick, sick in a while, so I haven't craved it in a while, but that is definitely my, my go-to. Next one, number 182 is who in your life has the best slash worst luck? And I'm going to go ahead and, yeah, you're raising your hand. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> but uh, I think there's somebody at Boots and Buckles who keeps winning the raffles. But aside from that person, I feel like I've got the best luck. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, see, I was thinking best slash worst luck. Like mine is always if I, something good happens, something bad happens. If something bad happens, something good happens. It's, it's always a balanced thing with me. It's very crazy. But um, yeah, there's definitely a few people around the area that we go to that seem to always win the raffles. So, uh, yeah, maybe they, they have the best luck luck, but I think, I think we're pretty good. I have never broken a bone. I don't, you have, (laughs) I I don't think, uh, I don't have any kind of like terminal illness, um, that I'm aware of unless something's like brewing in my cells that I haven't asked about and don't want to be told about by my cells. Uh, maybe they'll come back in, you know, a few decades, but, uh, yeah, that seems to all be chugging along nicely. My eyes are not 2020, but I mean, we live in an era of corrective vision. So, uh, that's, that's pretty lucky. I wasn't born like 500, 600 years ago or something. Um, I mean, I have a mode of transportation. I've got a place to live. I got people to <laughs> dance with. Um, well, you're not under a bridge, so there's that. <laughs> well, I guess that could be a place to live too, technically, but yes. Still above ground. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was thinking, I was like, perfect example of the, um, bad slash good thing happening is, you know, the whole fire situation happened for me. That's pretty bad luck. But then uh, not even like a day later, Rachel creates the GoFundMe account and all these amazing dancers from all over the world pull together to help support me. And so that's pretty freaking fantastic. So I remember us noting at Dancing for the Dream as well, just how how we felt being able to be there for the first time dancers and you know, dance with them for these uh, like one wall dances, many of which I already knew from you know teaching them at Brookdale. And um, the fact that we live in this state, we were able to see Scooter and Joe. We didn't live in like, I don't know, some state where Dancing for the Dream never visits or where there's no major dance event like Wyoming or something. I don't know if they do anything in Wyoming. Like we're just a short drive away and now we get to spend the day with Scooter and and Joe and Michael and Michelle and a bunch of our local dance friends. Like that felt super lucky um, for us. And if you'd like to elaborate on that further uh, in in the couple minutes that we have, go right ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that definitely. I remember walking up to you at one point and just tell you like, wow, we are so lucky to be here. And like, that was, that was just kind of the extent of it. Like I was just overwhelmed with that feeling of pride and joy and just, it was just such a warm and wonderful experience. I'm going to sneak this one in uh, because I don't think we'll, we'll need to elaborate too much. One, eight, three, what fashion trend makes you cringe or laugh every time you see it? And I'm going to say it makes me laugh like in a good way, but those big baggy pants from the nineties that were like small on the waist and really big, almost like oversized bell bottoms. I have a pair of those pants and they are among my favorites. So those make me laugh, um, in a happy way when I see them. Your thoughts? Well, I love that that you bring up the pants considering you're wearing them. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, cringe. And you're going to laugh at me for this because it's been a conversation we've had before. And hi, Jamie. I love you. Fanny packs. Mm, yes. I spent many a year with my, my different generations of fanny pack and they're very practical. So I really can't speak against hey, the first one was Jurassic park. So, <laughs> I mean, immediately there, I have cool points as fourth grade me with my scissors and my inhaler and my glasses case. Uh, and the scissors had a sheath that my mom custom made so that I wouldn't stab through the fanny the fanny pack uh, and while I was like running at tag or something like too that. Too cute. Too, too cute. Yeah, no, fanny packs are a hard no-go for me. 
Dance-wise, I feel like people tend to be pretty well-dressed at events, so I, I have nothing negative to say there. Things that make me happy is when I see speckles. Yeah. That would be a happy, not a cringe. Yeah, yeah that would be, I mean, laugh. If, if it's cringe or laugh, I would say when a slogan on a shirt goes in another direction than I would have expected. Those, those can be fun. Yeah. And it seems like there are a lot of those in today's fashion. Yeah, I had, I, I, there was one shirt I had when I was younger that said, uh, Teenagers, the reason why some animals eat their young. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Four <laughs> line, on that note. <laughs> Four-Line Dance Podcast. This has been Christopher Gonzalez and... Megan Barcelia. And until next time, we will see, see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.